The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, August 28, 2022, on the basis of Luke 13, verses 22 through 30. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Sometimes you have to be cruel in order to be kind. If you're a big fan of British pop music, you might recognize those words as the wisdom of a man named Nick Lowe, who wrote a song that really revolved around those words, first released back in 1979. On the other hand, if you aced your college literature class, you might instead recognize those words as the wisdom of William Shakespeare, who put them into the mouth of one of his most famous characters, Prince Hamlet. Or perhaps if you spent a great deal of time studying the Bible and specifically the book of Proverbs, you might recognize that sentiment as the wisdom of wise King Solomon, who said, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but enemies multiply kisses. Really, the point is the same. You can take a, a single piece of human action, and depending on the motives for and the purpose behind that action, that very same action can either be cruel or it can be kind. For example, someone might take a razor-sharp object, put it to another person's human skin, apply pressure in order to cut that skin open, and that someone could be an enemy using a knife to try and harm you, or that someone could be a surgeon using a scalpel trying to heal you. Sometimes the very same action that might seem cruel in one instance can seem kind in another. And believe it or not, the same is even true of our Savior Jesus. Today we're starting this new worship series that is entitled, Wounds That Heal. Over the course of the next several weeks, we will be in a section of the Gospel of Luke where over and over again, Jesus says things that seem to be harsh and cruel. In fact, things that seem downright mean and nasty. And yet over and over again, we're going to see that Jesus' words wound in order to heal. Jesus' words cut us to the heart in order that he might cure that heart. And really, today we start off that series with a bang because the words that we're going to see Jesus use are about the cruelest words that you could possibly ever speak about someone. In fact, they actually violate another bit of ancient wisdom. A man by the name of Chilon of Sparta was one of the seven sages of ancient Greece. And way back in 600 BC, he came up with a proverb that I'm guessing you have heard, the proverb that says, do not speak ill of the dead. Saying something bad about someone who has died is about the cruelest thing that you can possibly do, especially because at that point, that person has no ability to defend themselves. Well, that's exactly what we are going to see our Savior Jesus do today. And yet, as we do, we can be confident that he is not an enemy taking a knife and trying to stab us in the back. Instead, he is a very skilled surgeon with a scalpel in his hand trying to wound us in order to heal us. Why do we know that? Well, because Jesus does something just a little bit different from what that ancient Greek proverb warned us not to do. Yes, Jesus does speak ill of the dead, but he speaks ill of the dead while they are still living. 
Now, what strikes me about these verses is how easily Jesus could have avoided doing that if he really wanted to. This wasn't one of those instances where Jesus' enemies set a trap for him, prompting Jesus to say something that they know is going to make him unpopular. No, Jesus walked into this one all by himself. Someone came to Jesus and said, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus could have just answered that question in any number of ways. Yes. No. None of your business. But instead of focusing on that question of how many people are going to be saved, Jesus instead wanted to focus on whether the people who were listening to him would be among them or not. But even then, Jesus could have kept this conversation rather polite and rather pleasant. If he really wanted to, he could have talked about this hypothetical group of people out there who really think, are really confident that they are going to end up in heaven someday, but they are in for a rude awakening. They are going to find out that they are not going to make it in. But Jesus doesn't spend time talking about some hypothetical group of people out there. Instead, over and over again, Jesus uses the pronoun you. It's as if Jesus says to his audience, picture this. Here's how it's going to go. You're going to die. And you're going to go to heaven. And you're going to knock on the door expecting to be let in. Of course you're going to get in. You were there. You saw firsthand with your own eyes the saving acts that God accomplished through Jesus Christ. And so, of course, you're going to get in. But then, bam, reality is going to hit you like a ton of bricks because you are going to find out that knowing Jesus is not the same as Jesus knowing you. And so he is going to tell you to get lost. And after Jesus has told you to scram, you're going to walk away from that door, kind of around to the side of the building, and you're going to peek in some of the windows to heaven, and you're going to see those people that you think you are so much better than, those people that you think are the scum of the earth, and you're going to see them inside, eating and drinking and laughing and dancing. That's what's going to happen, Jesus says, not to some hypothetical group of people out there, but as he speaks to his audience, he says, to you. Kind of makes you wonder what Jesus would say if he stood in front of this room this morning and sort of gave us an encore performance. If Jesus is willing to be that cruel to these people, even though he so easily could have avoided it, what do you suppose he would say to us? Of course, I don't know exactly what Jesus would say to us. But if Jesus wanted to be cruel, he could say something like, picture this. Here's how it's going to go. You're going to knock on that door to heaven and you two are going to think that it is just a given that you are going to get in. And when you do, I'll recognize you as one of those people who was alive in this year that we call 2022. And I'll know that for you, you lived at a time when spending time with me was never easier. With the turn of a key and a little bit of pressure on a gas pedal, you could travel to the place where I was at 70 miles an hour. And when you got there, there was a nice cushy chair waiting for you, most mornings at least. When you got there, there was a, a nice audio system and speakers that made it really easy to hear. The room was air-conditioned during the summer and heated during the winter. It was as comfortable as comfortable could get. 
And not only that, but if you wanted to spend even more time with me in 2022, the year that you lived, this book, which is the ticket to you spending more time with me, this book cost a whopping $12. That's right. You could have a private VIP all-access sit-down with me, the Son of God and Savior of the world, for the same amount of money that it costs you to go out to eat at Culver's. And yet, in spite of all of those advantages, you seem to have thought that they could be wasted, that they could just be taken for granted. As easy as it was for you to spend time with me, you seem to think that it should have been even easier. That you only made it a priority in your life when everything else lined up, when everything else in your busy schedule worked out. And even when you made it on Sunday morning, you seemed to think that you could take that burger-priced Bible and let it go stale by leaving it on the shelf, by entrusting others with that task of feeding you and feeding your kids the Word of God. You seemed to think that it was just a given of where you stood and where you would be because, of course, you used that word to identify yourself, that word Christian, just like any number of other things that you would use to describe yourself, American, Wisconsinite, engineer, Packer fan, Christian. Well, I've got news for you. Just because you think you knew me doesn't mean that I know you. I am not like this world-famous celebrity who happens to be from your hometown and went to the same high school as you. I'm not interested in you thinking that we are really good friends just because you know a little bit about me. You didn't seem to be at all interested in spending time with me then. So I have no desire to spend time with you now. Get lost. I don't know what Jesus would say if he was standing in front of us this morning. If he wanted to be cruel. And at least based on these words, we have pretty good reason to believe he might just want to be really cruel. He could. I know that he could. Jesus is cruel by speaking ill of the dead, but he speaks ill of the dead while they are still living. In other words, he does so while there is still time for those people to change the thing that Jesus wants them to picture. And in fact, Jesus tells them exactly how that picture can change. Jesus describes that door to heaven and he uses one very important word to describe it. He doesn't say that it is a big or a heavy door. It doesn't take a great amount of strength or skill in order for us to get in. Jesus doesn't say that it's the kind of door that is protected by a dozen different locks and deadbolts of various sorts, so that getting in requires for us, us to go on some quest and find some mysterious key. Jesus doesn't say that it's one of those doors where there's a little window that opens up and a guy looks out and he asks us what the secret password is. And so getting into heaven requires us to have some top secret information now, when Jesus describes the door to heaven, he describes it with one word. He says that it is narrow, which means that getting in requires us to be thin, to be skinny, spiritually speaking, of course, to show up at that door completely empty-handed. Nothing in our pockets, no backpack, no luggage that we are carrying behind us. We don't bring to the door of heaven this list 
of all of our accomplishments, all of the job titles we've attained during our life. We don't bring with us to the door of heaven this portfolio of all of the times that we were generous and kind and helpful to others. We don't bring with us this moral resume that shows how, for the most part, during our life we avoided foul language and partying too late and traffic tickets. No, we show up at the door to heaven completely empty-handed because that door to heaven is narrow. That's also why getting through that door to heaven, according to Jesus, requires effort. Intense effort, in fact. Constant effort, in fact. The kind of effort that a world-class athlete puts forth in order to stay on the very top of his game. And again, this isn't the kind of effort that makes us good enough to get into heaven. It's the kind of effort that is required in our world and because of our hearts to remember that we are not worthy to get in. We live in a world where those degrees and those job titles are attached to every single email that we send out. We live in a world where every pleasant thing that happens to us or our kids turns into a picture and then into a post. We live in a world where filling out a resume and a job application and going to an interview in a way that makes you look as good as you possibly can is actually a skill and a virtue that is taught and promoted. And I'm not even saying that any of those things is bad. I am saying that to approach God in the exact opposite way, which is what we must do, requires constant, intense effort. That's the very reason why spending time with Jesus is so important. Because anytime we spend time with Jesus, something happens that usually happens when people spend time together. Everyone in the room gets to know each other better. When we spend time with Jesus, everything about us and everything about him becomes crystal clear. Our roles, what the relationship between us requires in order for it to work. When we spend time with Jesus, it becomes abundantly clear that everything that is required for us to be fit to be in his presence and fit to spend eternity in heaven is something that he brings to the table. The perfect life that we should have lived, he lived for us. And the penalty for sin that we should have paid, he paid for us. And so as a result, we become aware that there's absolutely nothing that we need to bring to the table. In fact, we can even admit it out loud when we are in Jesus' presence. Being in Jesus' presence requires us to put down the baggage of all of the perceived goodness that we think that we bring with us and being in the presence of Jesus allows us to put down the baggage of all of the guilt that we might be carrying too. It's being in the presence of Jesus that makes us spiritually thin, a perfect fit for that narrow door that leads to eternal life. And so Jesus is willing to be cruel in order to be kind. He is willing to speak ill of the dead while they are still living. And like I said, over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to hear Jesus do something similar over and over again. Another thing that we'll see is very often Jesus likes to sum up everything that he is teaching right at the end with one simple, concise statement. Here is the very last verse that's in front of us this morning where Jesus says, There are those who are last, who will be first, 
And there are those who are first who will be last. Now, one thing that's worth noting about this particular summary statement, especially in comparison to some of the other ones that Jesus spoke, is that it is not this universal, ironclad, unbreakable rule. Jesus did not say that all those who are first will end up last and all those who are last will end up first. He said, some of those who start out first will end up last and some of those who start out last will end up first. Some who start out life appearing to be closest to Jesus with every advantage imaginable can sadly end up stuck outside. And some of those who seem to start out life so far away, of Je- so far away from Jesus can very joyfully end up getting in. In other words, it may be true that spending time with Jesus has never been easier. It may be true that all of the indescribable advantages we might perceive that we have as Christians can actually be a danger to our spiritual lives. But Jesus is saying that it does not have to be the case. In other words, this diagnosis from our physician is not terminal. And thankfully, we still have time. And even more thankfully, we have more than time. As long as there is time, we also have a Savior and teacher who is willing to be cruel in order to be kind. In other words, as long as the patient still has a pulse, we have a surgeon who is willing to operate. Amen.